Hello, everyone. I have a question for you. Is it wrong for a church to have multiple campuses? What about one preacher who preaches video messages to several locations? It's taking the small church, large church controversy to a whole nother level. There are some people who will drive the stake in the ground and say, I only want a small church and I will not go to a big church because it's just not right for me. There's other people who they love the large churches for whatever reason. Well, this is going beyond that. What about multiple campuses? This has become a new phenomenon over the past couple of decades where churches have branched out to not just in their city, but multiple counties, multiple states where they have 10, 20 campuses, and they have a preacher who shows up on a video on Sunday morning. They have a campus pastor at all of these campuses, but they have a primary preacher. Now, that's the only, that's not the only way to do it. That's just one way. There's probably dozens of ways to slice and dice this. But the question that I'm asking, is it wrong to have multiple campuses? Is it wrong to have video preaching? But I also want to delve a little deeper than that. I want to talk about not just the method in which we do church, but the motive behind church. And all of this is part of my review of the Christianity Today podcast series, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. In this particular episode, according to my counting, this episode number 11, Mark, uh, Mike Cosper shares the motive and the method of Mark Driscoll's desire to share the gospel globally. If you want to read the show notes for this episode, you're welcome to do that. Go to our ministry's website. Look for episode 365, 365. The title is Response to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, episode number 11. Now, with all of these show notes and all of these reviews that I'm doing of Christianity Today's podcast series, all the show notes have all the reviews in them. And so you can look at the top of the show notes and you can click on any of them, 1 through 11, as of this podcast, and it will take you to that review where you can read the show notes for that particular episode. You can listen to the podcast, and you can also do a, a watch a video. I am doing a, a video recording, a video of these reviews and placing them on YouTube, and you can see them on our YouTube channel as well as inside of these show notes. Like always, if you have any questions for me, you're welcome to ask them. We have free community forums for anybody in the world. You can come and talk to us about this series from Christianity Today, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, or anything else that is on your mind. Episode number 11, the title of it is Red Sky at Morning. Now, that is a mariner's rhyme that many of you are familiar with, and, and the mariners would say that when the red sky is in the morning, there is a storm coming, and that is how uh, Mike Cosper has labeled this, because Mars Hill Church uh, is at the place to where it's, it's, heading into, it's heading into the fall phase, meaning the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Well, they are ascending, and they do climax around 2008, and then they start going downhill from that point until eventually they close the doors in 2014. 
And so that just to give you a quick episode summary, again, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the episode as in a play-by-play format. You can listen to it uh, yourself and hear what they say if you want to. Now, please let me reiterate, I've said this before, I've also made a video outlining why I do not recommend this series. I am doing these reviews for two reasons. Uh, we've had a number of people ask. Ask uh, our opinion on uh, the series by Christianity Today, and without listening to the episodes, I can't really talk about my opinion of them, and so that's one reason. And then the second reason is uh, I think there are practical applications that we can make as we uh, take a snapshot of this 18-year history of a local church and see the pros and, and the cons and what we can learn from it. And so those are the two reasons that I'm, I'm doing it. And so in this uh, particular episode, Mike Cosper, the narrator, uh, talked about the, th- the three stages of Mars Hill. The first two stages, were they were good to great, uh, but it was the third one that took them off message, off the message of Christ. And as you think about these three stages, uh, he, he talked about it as Acts, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. As you think about these three acts, they can mirror any growth plan. I mean, your personal sanctification, my personal sanctification, these three acts, these three stages can mirror your marriage. It can mirror a business, a business venture. And so for Mars Hill, the three acts look like this. Act one was the church plant in 1996 and their initial growth up to about 2000. And then Act 2, they were somewhat established and they were maturing. That's from 2001 to 2007. Think about your own marriage. You establish your marriage and you start growing uh, as a covenant uh, with your spouse. Uh, That's Act 1. And then Act 2, you become more established as you learn each other and you start maturing as a couple. That's great. But then there's Act 3, and for Mars Hill, it was around 2008. That's when they had the, that was the start of the Resurgence blog. Now, I'm not familiar with the Resurgence blog because I I don't follow things like that. I didn't back then. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. And it was a, a blog, a website where many Christian leaders wrote, and it was quite popular as I understand it. And because of the popularity of it, it was one of the component parts that led to uh, Mark Driscoll, uh, his desire to want to continue to expand, not just uh, through the website and the Resurgence blog, but also through sermons, through multiple campuses, but not just multiple campuses. Uh, He wanted to uh, get on other, on social media uh, platforms as social media was starting to grow. The iPhone came in 2007, and that was definitely a game changer, and so Mark Driscoll was one of the early uh, folks, uh, er, early Christian leaders who got on board with this new way of doing ministry. And so from 2008 to 2014, well, that was the red sky at morning. Uh, that was the descent of Mars Hill uh, at that point. And that's what this episode is about. Uh, 
And so Mike Cosper outlined the infancy of the multi-site church campuses phenomenon, which, by the way, did not begin in the United States, he says. It began in Korea. And then soon afterward, Mark Driscoll started making a case for speaking to hundreds of thousands of people, anticipating the message would live forever archived on the Internet. Now, conceptually, that is not a bad idea. I imagine that virtually everyone listening to this podcast, that your church has some kind of Internet presence. In fact, I would appeal to you to have an Internet presence presence. It is a good idea. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But Mark Driscoll was one of the early adopters, not only growing uh, multiple campuses, uh, but also going into cyberspace, and in a way, iterating that, having multiple campuses through the social media uh, platforms like YouTube could be a church campus or Facebook or Instagram, and then also the church's website. And so Mark Driscoll was in full tilt, full on expansion mode. Now, what we're talking about here by sharing the message of Christ on the internet in cyberspace is the redemptive use of technology. This is a good thing. Technology is here. Uh, we can you, you cannot avoid it. Uh, we are intimately and intricately tied to the internet. I was just checking it today. My doctor sent a message saying that I have blood work tomorrow. Those messages are communicated uh, through the internet. We pay our bills through the internet. I had uh, a Zoom call with my doctor a month ago as I was working through COVID. Our bank, uh, we pay a lot of bills and I uh, we order things online. Uh, we are we are intimately and intricately tied to the internet, and that's the way life is, and there is no way around it. And so for the Christian, uh, we want to think about the redemptive use of technology. Now, this is something that came to my mind in 2008 when we started this ministry. I began to think about how can we impact people with the practical message of Christ Using the redemptive, uh, using technology redemptively, and I thought about YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram, and there's dozens of more now, and they continue to <laughs> invent them. Though I'm not going to go to all of those places, we're satisfied with the communities that we have. But I begin to think about these different platforms as communities where people go to hang out. And if they're going there to hang out, then I want to insert myself. I want to invite myself to the party and share the practical message of Christ. And so we have several cyber communities where we do take the practical message of Christ. And, you know, in a smaller way, you do that too. I mean, all of you use the Internet to encourage others, whether it's text messaging, whether it's sending an email, getting on Facebook. Some way, somehow, all of you use the Internet redemptively. And I am saying that that is a good thing if 
Your motive is right. And so we don't have to shy away from it. Again, I I would make a strong appeal for churches and believers. I mean, think about it. Imagine what what Jesus could do if he had the internet. Imagine what Paul could do. He was so uh, intense about spreading the message of Christ. I, I I, I just can't believe that he would stay away from it, uh, that he would use it redemptively and his motive would be pure. It is a means that we can assist uh, people to learn uh, to know more about Christ. And so that is a good thing. Now, Mark Driscoll was thinking about these things and and he began to explore them. He gathered a team around him and uh, and well, the rest is history. Of course, he he imploded, uh, but that's because his motive was not what it should have been. You know, w- with every means, there are always inherent problems. We can't we can't uh, forget uh, that we are fallen people in a fallen world, and because of our fallenness, we can take <laughs> what can we not take. And, and, and not mess up. Uh, we can mess up anything, and we can mess up the internet as well. And so understanding the pros and cons is essential, as well as a plan for personal accountability so, so you can accentuate the pros and stay away from the cons. And so as you apply this episode from Christianity Today to your life, I have several things that I want to share with you I trust that will help you to think about uh, how you use uh, the internet, uh, the advantages, the pros, and also uh, the cons. And so I want to share with you four pros, or let's see, I got five, and then four cons about using the internet. And now I am speaking specifically about within the church Context. And so these are local churches that I'm speaking of using the internet, which again, I do implore that they do this because there's such redemptive value in it. For example, here are five pros. Number one, you can reach more people with the gospel. It's just straightforward. You can reach more people with the message of Christ through the internet. And whether you're a church or not, it's just something that we all need to think about and use the skills and the talents, the gifts that God has given us. And and I would encourage some of you who are not maximizing your talents in a cyber way uh, to think about it, whether it's graphic art or video production uh, or teaching, whatever that is, writing, Uh, that you just consider that, that you can reach more people with the practical message of Christ. Number two, those who cannot attend a service find these cyber meetings life-giving. And there are folks like shut-ins, for example, uh, who can't attend the service. And, you know, back in the day, there were churches that really uh, did well using the radio, and they would put their messages 
uh, on the radio, either live or they would record them on cassette tapes and send them to the radio station that they would play a few days or a week later, and the shut-ins could listen uh, to those messages. And I have been to uh, many nursing homes, and I've visited uh, several, many folks who uh, were at their own homes, but uh, were not able to attend their local church services, and they benefited from hearing the messages, whether by uh, radio live or even in a delayed way. And so those who can't attend can hear uh, the services. Another pro is when traveling, you can continue to hear your church's sermons. Now, I added that one myself because we do travel a lot, and it is great that when we travel uh, that we can hear the messages. It's not the same as being there, but it maintains some uh, sermon diet continuity, especially if you're in a series Uh, Every summer, our church does what they call Wisdom Fest, and it's five weeks on a topic. And this particular summer of 2021, the Wisdom Fest series was on politics, which was quite timely. But we were on the road during the whole time. I think I heard the first one. I think we were home for the first one, but I missed all the other ones as far as being at the building. But we could listen on the Internet. And so pro tip. Number three, when traveling, you can continue to hear your church's sermons. Number four, a church can connect with extra local missionaries and ministries that they support. Those missionaries and ministries that are out of town, that are in other countries, they can maintain some continuity with the the local church that supports them, and I think that is a fantastic idea. And then pro tip number Five, folks thinking of moving to the area can begin the tedious process of vetting the church. Uh, And that's one of the harder things to do. But if you're going to make a geographical move, which is very common in our culture today, uh, you can jump online and you can start listening uh, to the different uh, messages from the churches uh, in the area so you can start that process so you can settle in somewhat quickly uh, as you move into the area. Now, I am sure you can think of other pros to the idea of having uh, sermons, having uh, churches doing their sermons and their services online. Now, there's also some cons, and I'll only share four of those, but I imagine you could think of others as well. Number one, the character of the preacher matters most. And so in the case of Mark Driscoll, he had a obvious, objective, measurable craving for fame, power, and prestige. And so he was using the means, the mechanism of preaching online as a way of satisfying his sinful desires. And when you have a preacher whose motivation is not characterized by humility— and not characterized by a desire to love God and love others most, but he's turning his love onto himself and satisfying his evil desires, then that is a significant con. Number two, the preacher can lose focus on local responsibilities to where he is no longer shepherding. 
when you have a a ministry that's growing exponentially out there somewhere and you are a shepherd and you have a local responsibility to take care of these sheep that are in front of you physically every Sunday, well, it's very hard to maintain. It's almost like two full-time jobs, and it's very hard to maintain those two responsibilities, especially if that extra local ministry in cyberspace continues to grow. And so con number two, the preacher can lose focus on local responsibilities. Number three, the sermon is all you get. I mean, they can have the whole service, sure, and you can listen to the worship service, but that's not the same. And so really the sermon is all you get. You don't get the handshakes, and you don't get the smiles, and you don't get passing people in the hallway. You don't get the coffee shop if you have one. You don't get the greeters. You don't get uh, the children's ministry. You don't get all the things that a that can happen within a local church building on any given Sunday. You just get the sermon You don't get the community, and that is a big deal. And so even when we travel and we have the benefit of listening to our church's sermons on a week-to-week basis, you still go away every Sunday knowing that something was missing. I mean, we missed a lot. All we got was the sermon, and as helpful as it was, It was not enough because the body of Christ is more than a preacher and a message, and so the sermon is all you get. And then number four, the the church members can stop attending a local church if they can watch it online because the church that you attend is not what you want. You see, cyber relationships are less messy. Some people find Facebook fulfilling as far as their relationship quota and their relationship obligation because you're only seeing half of a person, the front-facing side, the smiling side, the selfie side, the happy side. You don't get into the sin of a person's life. And some people have been so burnt out by church, or they're in an area where they can't find the church that's just right for them. And so they can default to doing church online without going through the tedious and messy gauntlet of of building relationally and settling with something that doesn't meet all of our preferential desires. Now, I'm talking about churches that preach the gospel. If your church doesn't preach the gospel, you shouldn't be there. And if every church in town does not preach the gospel, you shouldn't be at any of them. And maybe that's all you have. But you do want to question yourself if you're not part of a local assembly. Am I not part of a local church because uh, they, they don't, I can't tick every box. They don't meet all my preferences, and it's an easy default to watch John MacArthur on Sunday. No shade on John MacArthur, uh, but it's an easy default. And I've talked to several uh, people who prefer that as opposed to doing the hard work of finding a local church, and so I want to challenge that idea. So there's a few pros. I gave you five. I gave you four cons, and I'm sure you can add to that list. Internet preaching is not wrong necessarily, but there are cautions, again, because we live in a fallen world. Now, this idea of internet preaching is uh, it's a new thing. 
it's a is something that we didn't have a hundred years ago. We slowly evolved into it with the radio and then the television and then the internet. And change is, necess- is, is a necessity in all of our lives. In fact, the key to the longevity of a preacher or a person or a couple it's to never leave Christ, our first love, while we must always be connected to our first love while always seeking to change. Those two things aren't polarizing. We should always seek to change while never leaving our first love. If you are not maturing, changing, and growing, whether personally or organizationally, then there might be a problem there. In fact, there is a problem there. Change is essential for everybody and every organization. If you don't adapt to the times, you will become like Blockbuster, Blockbuster video stores. Some of you have no clue what that is if you're probably younger than 35 years of age, but it used to be a thing, and it was a big thing around the year 2000. But they didn't evolve. They didn't change. Changing methods while never changing the message is wisdom. But if any change untethers you from the message, if any change untethers you from the gospel, it will impact you adversely and you will impact others adversely. I mean, you can go from a rectangular red brick building with a tall white steeple on top of it to a metal warehouse-shaped building as long as the gospel stays central. You see, the change does not have to be wrong. Now, going back to Mark Driscoll, I mean, perhaps his first love was Christ. I can't judge that. I don't know. I'd be a fool. Uh, to judge that one way or the other. And so I will just default to trust and assume that his first love was Christ. And, and, and maybe it was the growth that stirred his selfish, ambitious cravings that were in his heart. But whether or not his love for Christ was genuine, I'm not sure. But there is no question that he drifted from the gospel. And so we always want to change, but we can never drift from the gospel. If you have not changed into a more mature person since coming to Christ, it is an indication that you may not know Christ. And and people ask this question, especially couples. It's like my spouse, my husband, my wife. It's like, I don't know if, if he or she is a believer. Well, this is one of the ways to assess that. Granted, it is subjective. But if your spouse has been married to Christ by profession for five years or more, then your spouse should be changing. If you have not changed into a more mature person since coming to Christ, it could be an indication that you do not know him. If you have changed and your affection for Christ continues to deepen, then you're in a great place. But selfish ambition in Driscoll's case, 
Uh, he wanted to be famous. He wanted to be powerful. He wanted all the accolades and the prestige that came with uh, a worldwide ministry. But that's not the only reason that a person will drift off mission. I mean, there are many people that wane in their faith. They have been a believer for a decade or two decades, and they wane, and it's not because of selfish ambition reasons, like in Driscoll's case, but they wane in their faith due to the wear and tear of the fight. The wearing down of cross-carrying takes a toll on believers, which makes a case for churches with shepherds that know how to equip the saints. It makes a case for churches that are intimately connected to each other. It may not make so much of a case for these multi-campuses, but it really depends on how well uh, these shepherds are connected to the local churches and the multiple campuses, and they're equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry because we need the accountability of each other because cross-carrying takes a toll on all of us. And so as I wrap up this podcast, again, this is episode 365, response to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, episode number 11. A couple of questions for you. What is your growth in Christ pattern? Are you steadily accelerating upward, maturing in gratitude, maturing in appreciation, maturing in passion for Christ? These questions are essential. Mark Driscoll drifted from Christ. It became about growing his brand. The way to measure your growth in Christ is by assessing how you love God and how you love others practically to the two great commandments. Do you build your life around what you want or are you all about serving others, as Jesus said in Mark 1045, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the ways that you can measure this is by this question, do you carry people in your heart? When you spend appropriate time thinking about how to serve others, you're doing well. Are you redemptively affecting folks for the uh, for Christ with your talents? Continue to change, continue to grow, but never drift off message. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.